it's amazing how God works and how he knows uh, to give me great material. Um, I'm preaching this morning, if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew 15. We're going to be looking at the first 20 verses, and literally this was, we're cutting up Matthew's gospel, and uh, we don't try to, to pick and choose what we want to say, and uh, God in his infinite wisdom, I guess, knows how all of these things work together, and uh, I spent the entire week with probably some of the most traditionally oriented people in the universe known as high school students. Now, I don't know if they see it that way, to be honest with you. I really don't. I don't, I don't think they see it that way. Even when we were having a, a conversation about what this service would look like. Okay, so what are we going to be doing? Well, it's Youthquake Sunday. And I, I made the, the, the comment, just the quick statement, so we'll be doing all the traditional things. And, and someone actually said, a little younger than me, no, we don't have any traditions. That's what old people have. These are just things we, and it wasn't, she wasn't trying to be derogatory. It was just like, no, we don't have traditions. Other people have traditions. Really? Because um, when we do Youthquake, um, on, on Monday, what is Monday at Youthquake? And on Tuesday, well, watch this, it gets hilarious. Tuesday, what's Tuesday? And Wednesday is? And Thursday is? And may it never change. May it never, ever, 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 ever change. I guarantee you, they were to decide, hey, let's instead of going to Breckenridge, let's, let's go to Aspen, let's go to Denver. No, you don't understand. It has to be Breckenridge. We're all like this. Creatures, we say creatures of habit, and habit and habit and habit create traditions. And everybody is like this. It doesn't matter if you're young, it doesn't matter if you're old. Um, in fact, these traditions help define us, help us understand um, the things that are going on around us. In fact, that when there are specific traditions, hey, it's, we're going to start this baseball game, let's all sing our what? National anthem. Why? Like, why are we singing this song of devotion and dedication to our country before we play this sporting event? I don't know. I mean, we, we don't do it at every event we get together, but for some reason, it's sports, and we should be singing the national anthem. During a baseball game, there is something known as the seventh inning. Why? Well, because we're tired. Not, not the people playing the game, but the people in the stands, right? Need to stretch. <laughs> Need to get up and move around. We've been here for a really, really, really long time. We could even sing a song, and it's amazing how this transcends if it's your birthday, we would sing what? Happy birthday. And you all know it, don't you? You all know it. We all have these. And when we, we don't do them, we ask what's wrong. What's wrong? Why didn't we do what we were supposed to do? We were supposed to do that. We didn't do it. What's wrong? And this probably, we want to say it doesn't happen um, anywhere more than in church. But I think it just literally happens everywhere. When OSU scores, what do we do? See, you already know, don't you? Like, why do we do that? These are waves of grain. No, it's your arm, right? And we're really excited. We scored, you know? But if I were to say, hey, guys, listen, um, we're going to sing a song about Jesus. I want you to raise your hands. I don't have to raise my hands. OSU didn't score, right? And so we actually notice, we actually can recognize some, what we would see is maybe inconsistencies, about when we get excited or even when or where we feel spiritual. And Jesus, in his divine sovereignty, understands this. So 
there are a number of profound truths about tradition. Tradition itself is good, sometimes bad, sometimes just neutral. We love to think of them, and we usually get frustrated by other people's traditions, but really, the traditions by and of themselves, they don't appear to be like they're the problem. You could even take wonderfully good traditions and remove them from where they make sense, and they just seem strange. Traditions are normal. There are things that we just naturally do. One other truth about tradition is that not only are they helpful and not only do they bring us meaning and great joy and wow, I just love that part of Youthquake, you'll probably describe some kind of tradition. It's senior night, we're gonna celebrate these three lives and then we're gonna what? We're gonna, some people are gonna stand up and say some great things about these young people and then we're gonna read a couple of parents' letters to them and, and this is what we do, this is, this is a tradition. But what happens, and Jesus is going to get at this in our text, what happens when we replace these meaningful experiences, and I'm going to change the word here, and it's no longer this wonderfully deep tradition, but it is just this thing we do. You might want to use the word ritual, but again, rituals by themselves aren't necessarily good or bad. They're rituals. They're things that we just naturally do as humans, made in the image of God. God gives us these customs, and we, when we gather together and socialize, we begin to do these things over and over and over again. We find identity and meaning and purpose. They're wonderful things, and, and they're dangerous things. And Jesus is now going to draw a line between wonderful and dangerous, beginning in verse 1. Then Pharisees... And scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now you might just think, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, first of all, who are Pharisees? Now you might think they're the bad guys, and they kind of are. But the truth is, they are—they're um, very traditional people. They're very devoted and dedicated to the traditions of God. And you might see them as a bad guy, and even the phrase, don't be a Pharisee, as a really kind of a negative thing. But back in biblical times, these were the guys that understood traditions right. These were the ones that everyone looked to as the model of what it meant to be a follower of God, follower of Yahweh. The phrase Pharisees and scribes literally should mean Pharisees, a group of people meaning the separate ones, those who are devoted to the laws of God and following the laws of God and helping other people follow the laws of God. The Pharisees, namely the scribes, those legal experts that spent their time and attention, time and attention to make sure that we follow the way of God best. Because let's be honest, how many of you spent hours and hours and hours and hours poring over Deuteronomy this week to make sure you lived it right? Anyone? So there were these religious experts that said, listen, we'll do that for you. We'll, we'll do that for you. And then we'll come and we'll explain what the tradition should look like, the way that we should live our lives. And these scribes, namely the Pharisees, come, from, come to Jesus from Jerusalem. That's like there were these politicians that came from Washington, D.C. There were these financial bankers that came down from New York City. There were these movie moguls that came from Hollywood. See, Jerusalem is the epicenter of religious expertise. And, and these people are, growingly, are growing frustrated in Jesus who seems to do whatever he wants. At least that's what they're thinking. He does whatever he wants. He's not paying attention to the rules 
So these Pharisees come from the epicenter of religious perfection, and they've got a question for Jesus. Look at verse 2. Why do your disciples break, and this is important, the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, now by the way, you're going, who cares? Who cares about washing your hands? You know, we, now, we would wash our hands for germs. Don't get me wrong. But in terms of like a ritual cleansing, you just think, yeah, you're right. These Pharisees, they have all these dumb rules. Now, now, the problem with that is then you never really get the tension in the text. Like, imagine that what they're saying, you actually agree with. Hey, in order to, what, what, what's wrong with this Jesus who actually thinks we should have church on Sunday? Actually, I think we should have church on Sunday. What's wrong with this Jesus who thinks we should? And he, he is doing something that you're uncomfortable with. Everyone thought that in order to be a good covenantal person within God's plan of salvation, that we would follow this ritual. That's what we all do. How come he's not doing that? How come we didn't sing the national anthem before the game? Because Jesus didn't want to. What is wrong with Jesus, right? You, you have to somehow get that tension. If you just walk into this and you're already on Jesus' side, Here's my concern. You'll totally miss the point of this text. Because he's not here just to attack Pharisees. What Matthew is actually describing here is a genuine concern that Jesus has for everyone. Okay, okay, fine. It's not hand cleaning for you, but it's something. And do you know what yours is? I love when Jesus gets into these debates. Look at verse 3. So they ask him the question, how come your disciples don't wash their hands like the tradition and Jesus shoots back at him. And why do you break the commandment? Notice the difference. Why do you not hold to the tradition? Why do you break the commandment? He goes right for the throat. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your own traditions, you have made void the word of God. And what, what Jesus is describing there is, th this is what people who, can, who love tradition, who want to keep spiritual things like close enough, like, but just not in here, close enough, but don't get into here, what they look for is, can we find some loopholes? Can we find some ways around that? Because we really want to feel good about God. We want to feel good with God, but we don't want him to get in here. We want to follow him, just not too close. And see, the Bible says that you should honor your father and your mother. One of the ways in which this was a really big deal back then, we joke about it now. Yeah, my children are my, are my, uh, my plan for retirement. My children are going to be the ones, but that back then, that's all they had. The ch your children were the ones that were going to care for you when you could no longer care for yourself. And so there are these children who now are doing rather well, and mom and dad aren't doing very well, and who's going to take care of them? And a, a bunch of religious experts got together and said, how do we get around this? How do we not, because our money means a lot to us. It's usually about money. When we do these kinds of things, we're trying to look for loopholes. Here's, I mean, it's true, right? Um, giving at the church. Should, should we get, well, you know what? It's, we don't want to be legalistic about that 10% thing. We don't want to be legalistic. How do we find a loophole around giving? How do we find, and whatever it is, it's usually money. 
But whatever it is, we're going to try to figure out a loophole. And, and they did. They said, tell you what, how about this? What if, what if a son says to a rabbi or to a teacher, we dedicate everything we own to God, then we can't give that to the parents. So that's what they would do. A person would meet with a rabbi, we dedicate everything to God. So when the dad says, hey, we need some help, I, I really wish I could, but the truth is it's God's. Mom and dad die. He goes back to the rabbi and he says, listen, um, I made a rash vow about dedicating everything to God. They had another loophole for this. I mean, this, we're, we're good at this. I want to pay the penalty and I just want to get my stuff back. And, and you pay like a tax. And, 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 and here's the amazing thing. And you never violate the commandment, honor your father and your mother. H- how do you do that? How do, you, how do you become so blind? Tradition. Here's what Jesus is getting at. The problem with tradition is that when we do these kinds of things and when our heart is the one that is actually leading the way, we will naturally not only create traditions, but through those traditions we will actually become, are you ready for this word? Hypocrites. We'll become hypocrites. You get it, right? Like, if I were to tell you, hey, I found a way to not care about my parents. It's really, really cool. You need to do this. And then I, next Sunday, I preach about honoring your father and your mother, because that's where the text says, like, don't you look at me and go, are you serious? You got to be kidding me. How can you say honor your father and your mother when you, when you act like that? You would have it. You would see it. You would know it. Something is fundamentally broken in you. You look like a hypocrite. Where does that come from? It comes from going through the motions without a heart. Going through the motions without a heart. Verse seven, look at what Jesus says. And this is all, literally the word doesn't, it's not somebody who's struggling with sin. It's not always this. Here's the part that's amazing. Whenever people talk about hypocrites, they always describe them as, I've tricked everyone into thinking that I'm a good person, but I'm really evil. That's what they think. Who is Jesus calling a hypocrite? The religious leaders. Are you ready for this? Is the, this is the part that hit me in the stomach. Think about this. Like, are you a hypocrite? No. I never do this. Like, I struggle with things. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not. I, I swear I'm not. And that's what these Pharisees are saying. But Jesus steps in front of them and points at them and says, You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, these people, notice what a hypocrite is in terms of uh, in a religious context. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine, teaching as essential, teaching as most important, the commandments of men. Teaching tradition over heart change before God. And Jesus says, like, this is abhorrent. Like, this will get you into serious trouble with God. If you have a life that knows how to say one thing and then lives another, and you've actually felt a sense of comfort in that, you don't even, you don't even have a conviction about it anymore, you, you are, you're getting good at this. You can actually come to, sun, or come to church every Sunday and hear, hear songs sung and eat the bread and the wine, and you can do all of these things, and, and yet no real, 
like heart conviction, no real stirring of a devotion or a love to God, no real brokenness, no real, man, I need Jesus. Get, you don't get any of that. It's, it's we're kind of like a club. Sure, we do some things, but th- this is the danger. This is the, the warning that Jesus gives. And I love it that he says, Isaiah prophesied this about you. What I find fascinating is, I bet you the Pharisees thought, no, 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 he wasn't talking about us. He was talking about the people back in his day. Isaiah was talking to people in his day saying, they're hypocrites, Jesus. Those people were hypocrites. Those people deserve the judgment of God, not me. And Jesus goes, no, he was talking about you. And you and I go, I'm so glad Isaiah wasn't talking about us. Like he was talking about the Pharisees, right? That wouldn't be us. Like there's not a chance, right? You know that, right? There's not a chance that you would ever go to Colorado and look at these mountains and worship God and sing songs and man, I'm gonna be a real follower of Jesus. Man, I'm gonna really dedicate my life to, there's not a chance that any of us would ever do that and then just in a matter of weeks go on and kind of live our lives like Colorado, like youthquake, like made never happened, right? No way we would do that. That, that's someone else. That's not being aware. It's not being aware that the the danger and the possibility that maybe you and I are hypocrites. Verse 10, and and then after he's kind of gone after and literally grabbed the Pharisees by their religious throat and shaken them, and he called the people to him and he said, hear and understand It is not what goes into the mouth. He's going back to their original question. He doesn't answer it to them. I'm not gonna answer your, Jesus loves to do this. I'm not gonna answer your question because you don't have a heart that wants to know the answer. He leaves them. If you don't have a heart that wants to hear, don't hear. He goes to the people and he says, listen, let me me explain this to you. Hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended by what they heard? (laughs) And Jesus like, yeah, they're offended every time I talk. Every time I say anything, they're offended. It's fascinating that they're like, Jesus, do you know they're mad at you? Yeah, I know they're mad at me. My name's Jesus which again hits me. I remember a professor saying that if we ever preach and, and, and no one is offended, then most likely we haven't preached well. That's a cool idea while you have a, like a fictitious church in your head. That's really awesome when I really don't know the people who are now offended with me. Jesus, did you know that they were offended by what you said? And the truth always offends one of the questions is like, are you, listen, I love that statement, hear and understand. One of the questions I have to ask myself when I'm looking at the Bible or when I'm trying to, to deal with the truth about God is, am I even listening to the point where I know to be offended? Am I even paying attention? Hey, do you realize that guy, that Jesus guy was talking to you? No, it wasn't me, he was talking to the hypocrites. He was talking to those old people that have traditions. No, I'm talking to you and you. And me. There's no way around this. Jesus is going to, by his nature, offend. Why? Because he's going for the heart. Amanda, can you show that one uh, slide? I love this slide. I just noticed it this morning, actually, and I thought, wow, that really fits with the message. I think it's from John Stott, if I remember right. It is. Listen to this. 
we must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. That is by its definition offensive. And you're thinking, and I get dressed up and come to hear this stuff? And the answer is, if you're a follower of Jesus, yes. So you're telling me I gotta go to Youthquake to get this stuff? No, not only Youthquake, but yeah, that's what we wanted you to do. That's what we wanted you to hear, to shake off this. I love that last statement, to overthrow patterns, traditions of thought and behavior. And this is what Jesus does. Because he knows the Pharisees are broken. He knows the crowds are broken. He knows their traditions unchecked are dangerous. And this is the most dangerous thing. And for some reason, I feel like I need to speak mostly to you. One of the most dangerous things that you can do is to go through your life and think you're religiously fine when you're actually in jeopardy of offending the living God. Like that's the greatest concern. Like you think everything is fine, and it's not. Like you're literally walking through life and just believing because of these traditions which have meaning and purpose, and they do, that somehow this disconnected from that is still okay. That's what concerns me most when I ask people, is your friend, they want me to pray for a Christian, and I get this, they describe traditions, they go to church. Okay, but I asked, are they a follower of Jesus? What do you even mean by that? It's not hard. Do they follow Jesus? They're really good people. Oh, you are not gonna answer this question, are you? Like, do they wake, this is my question I ask it now. Do they wake up and go, how do I please Jesus with my life today? I, I usually get this, that sounds crazy to me. I agree, it does. It sounds crazy to me too, but it actually is the definition of being a disciple. The Pharisees are offended. Verse 13, Jesus answers, every plant that my father has not planted will be rooted up. Meaning there are those people who play the game. There are those people today who play the religious game and they're a plant, but it's not the one that the father had planted. They will be, this probably leans back into Matthew 13 with the weeds, they will be rooted up. Jesus says, by the way, don't go, don't go try to argue with them, let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. That's why I love Christian community. It's why I love people of every generation who can speak truth into my life. It's why I actually have learned, it's, it's still hard, but I've actually learned to be offended. I've learned to be bothered. I, I wonder sometimes if without offense, I would ever hear the Holy Spirit or the word of God speak to me. How dare you? Oh, you were speaking for Jesus. <laughs> then how dare you? Well, the good news is he doesn't just talk about tradition and hypocrisy. He ends by speaking about the truth. I want to talk about the truth of truth. And that's where Jesus is getting at. He's not saying, listen, traditions are bad. I don't know how we will ever shake the traditions that we have. I think it's, it's, it's futile and it's impossible. Psalm 78 as well as Psalm 145 
both describe this need for parents, for people to kind of come alongside their, the future generations and help them understand why we're doing what we're doing. Do you wanna know why we take communion every week and we eat and we drink? Like, do you wanna know why we sing praise to God? Do you wanna know why we go on mission trips? Do you wanna know why we exist in biblical community? Do you wanna know why we actually learn to grow in our understanding of who God is and in our obedience to him? Do you wanna know why we do all of these rituals, which is amazing, because again, I've spent time with high school students this past week, and they have all of these amazing traditions. Don't tell them I said this, but I was amazed at how many of them would actually say, and they meant well, they would say things like this. You know, and I really don't want to take my Bible reading and turn it into just a tradition. You know, I really don't want to just take my church attendance and just turn it into a tradition. By the way, they didn't say that about baseball. They didn't say that about cheerleading. They didn't say that about school. They didn't say it about their ACT. I don't want to turn my ACT into a tradition. No, you're going to. It was fascinating how there were certain traditions that they really wanted to be careful with that they don't abuse. And others we just openly embrace. Hmm. Again, that's the warning, isn't it? And it's not just you guys. Every one of us knows. Man, we just get so picky about those things we don't value or those things that we don't appreciate. And Jesus says, that's because you're never looking at your own heart. You're always concerned about everybody else. And Jesus speaks the truth to us. Verse 15, Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, you are also, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth and passes through the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This has been such a great, I've had more discussions with the young man who is Muslim who lives with us about this, and it's, it's parallel in Mark 7, than I had anything else. Um, my, our, our young man lives with us, his name is Taysir, and he is Muslim, and he is very, 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 very careful about what he eats. He doesn't want to somehow bother God, and one day he came to me and said, hey, I just want you to know how much Jesus was just like me, and Jesus was very careful, and I'm like, actually, that's not even true. I don't even know who told you that. We got out the Bible, and you should have seen his eyes when he looked at this. And I began to ask him, hey, has, you, has your practice of not eating corrected your heart problem? Has your practice of five times praying a day, has that corrected, like, the evil that comes out of your heart? And it was like I was speaking a truth that he didn't know. That's not a Muslim problem. It's not a Jewish problem. It's not a Christian problem. It's a human problem. You and I trade a genuine and real relationship with God with anything that we can find to not deal with the hard issue. And it's why we're still broken. And it's why we're gonna argue and kind of pick which rituals we will and will not follow. One of the problems is, is that we just don't understand how bad our hearts are messed up. I actually caught a guy walking out. You, know, you guys know Miss Genevieve, right, who's down over here? She, she loves to cry after I preach, and so I love to go up and, and talk to her and watch her cry. It's kind of a thing we have together. And so I was there today, and she was just tears streaming down her face. Thank you so much for, this is Genevieve, who is overwhelmingly convicted that she's a hypocrite. 
this is fascinating. And so I looked at her, and I, I, I shouldn't try to make her feel better. I think the Holy Spirit was convicting her. I don't even know about the specifics. A, a couple, older couple at our church who know Genevieve really well, they're walking by, and I said to them, I said, man, Genevieve's just got a wicked heart. And you, I, the, oh, yeah, they're ready to fight. This is after they heard my message. Jeremiah chapter 17. You guys need to hear this. This is, this is such a, this is a biblical truth. It's not, this isn't the only time this is brought up. We want to just, I mean, I, I heard about how awesome you graduates are and you've never done anything wrong and you've only, you're always there for each other and you're just the greatest people in the world, okay? And I get it. I really do. I get it, okay? But this is what the Bible says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I know what you're thinking. Not my kid. Not, not my, my spouse. That, that, that's somebody else. That's not, no, that's, that's me. That's me. That my heart left unchecked, my traditions left unevaluated are gonna lead me down a wrong path. And we won't admit it. I got confronted about Genevieve's heart. She's the one that started it. She's the one saying, my heart, don't you dare say that, Genevieve. Jesus is saying, until you can come and be honest with me about how badly you need me, you're gonna do nothing more than trade in, okay? For many of you high school students, really this always concerns us, that you will trade in your spiritual walk with Christ for youthquake. Seriously? And that's a pathetic trade. Why would you give up a walk with Jesus Christ for a week in the mountains? And how you know this is, is that if you never feel as spiritually alive as you did at Youthquake, then you know something's broken here. If you never feel alive, then from some experience or some conference or some worship service, then something's broken in here. If you need that band, which I thought sounded awesome today, <laughs> if you need them to worship, Something is broken in here. If you need me to preach in order to feel convicted, something is broken in here. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can understand it? I'll tell you, not me, because I'll convince myself 10 times out of 10 that I'm fine. Let me close with this. So what is the answer? It's actually found in Ezekiel chapter 36. Anything that we try to do to fix it, any, any, any work that we do, any kind of a religious expression without the heart, and that's the critical piece. The traditions in themselves aren't good or bad. They're just traditions, but without the heart, it's a computer left unplugged. It's a car with no gas. It's literally, there is no power within it. And that's why when you are going through the religious motions and you need a jump start like youthquake or a jump, whatever your jump start is, that is how you know you've never really dealt with Jesus in the first place. And if you bypass him, I'm coming. And if I bypass him, listen, if I bypass him, I don't get him. And now you're living in that dangerous place where you think everything is fine and you're not. So Jesus says this through the prophet Ezekiel. Because it's who, he's talking about Jesus here when Ezekiel is speaking. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You want to talk about clean? How about me giving you clean? 
I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. From all of your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit because yours is broken, yours is diseased, yours is dead and the religious practices are not going to make it work. I will put this within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And by the way, that's what many of you felt this week was God's spirit convicting you. And then now you'll be surrounded by people and you'll be surrounded by a culture that wants to quiet the spirit's voice. And what's really, really sad is you will trade in some religious traditions for a real relationship with Jesus. And the opposite of that is not no religious traditions, but it is profound religious prayer, religious reading of our Bibles, religious worship, religious community with a heart that is alive with a heart that is alive, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I love how it isn't, and then you'll have your own heart and you can do whatever you want. Ta-da. It's no, I'm gonna give you a new heart and you will want to do these things. You will want to go, you will want to gather, you will want to grow, you will want to be involved in community, you will want to be pure, you will want to be, and when you aren't, you will struggle and you will come to me and with a broken heart and I will cleanse you again. And this is the pattern. I really enjoyed my time in the mountains. If you don't mind, there's one small thing. This is just a preacher's uh, struggle. One small thing that Matt said that I want to confront, if you don't mind. He made this statement over and over and over again. If the change that happens just stays within this, remember this? If the change that happens just stays within here, then that's not the real important change. We, we got to make sure that we what? Change everything that's out there. Let me tell you this. You can't change in here without changing out there. That's the lie. The lie is that somehow you might actually believe that you can go there and have a change and if it doesn't spill out, if it doesn't spill over, if it doesn't begin to affect and change those around you, then whatever you thought happened isn't real change. And that's true for all of us. If the kind of change that we're talking about and yeah, the change just kind of stays in here. No, that's tradition. And it is as empty. It's as empty as it comes. But the real change, the work of the Spirit, the work of Jesus Christ through his word, by his Spirit, for his glory, when that change begins to well up in us, it will spill over. How I, I don't know if I would have said it, I probably would have said something very similar to what Matt said, but the real answer I think is this, biblically, is that if you want to see how very real the change that you may or may not feel, you may or may not be committed to, if you want to see it and experience it, it will just naturally flow from you as we move from death to life. This is the best way to celebrate this. I do believe we have a young lady back here who is going to get baptized, Sadie Stewart. Isn't that awesome? A young woman from a family that loves the Lord and they should be coming out right now. <laughs> That's awesome. But here is Eli and his sister, and they are about to do something that that sermon I just preached, they're about to say it 
really, really quickly. If you wanna continue this faith conversation or if you've been offended, I'm hoping some of you have been now, um, I really hope and pray that we can continue it. I know it might be kind of awkward, so we'll kind of move to the ends as these young people pray for them. Pray for them that they will not fall into the dangers of just going through the motions, but what they experienced in Colorado did not stay there, but actually was used by God for his glory, for our benefit, and for their amazing joy. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. God bless. We'll see you next Sunday.